Hello and welcome to the Answered Podcast. My name is Pavel Buja and I am a Senior Communication Manager here at Setup Project Red. And I have my fellow host. And my name is Sebastian Kalemba and I'm Game Director for Polaris Project. And today we are venturing into the world of quests. And it's going to be epic because we have two awesome personalities from the studio. Who do we have today? Man, we're having quest designers that work in this company for over a decade. Wow. One of them, Philip Weber, is a narrative director for Polaris Project. And second is Błażej Augustynek, who is a lead quest designer for Polaris Project. So let's start. Let's go. All right, guys, welcome to the studio. Awesome to have you here. And we're going to talk about quests all day, all the time quests. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big one to, to unpack. And we'll start with something very general, very big. And what's special about quests in CDPR? Do you want to take that? Or? Sure. I know how uh, to answer that. <laughs> well, I think there's probably many answers. Yeah. But uh, I think a simple one for me is that at the same time, there's not very strict rules or templates, but then we have a very high quality bar. Mm -hmm. So basically, we give you as a designer a lot of freedom to come up with stuff, but it also means that as a player, you can expect a lot out of it. And often you do not necessarily already know what's going to come, but then we have such a high quality bar that kind of our rules are less about what kind of content needs to be in a quest and more about rules of storytelling, rules of pacing. So we really get into the, okay, if we have a big character in a quest, then that character having a proper arc, mm -hmm. that's a requirement. Yeah. Uh, since we make nonlinear games, at least we try, uh, when we have a story, proper choices are a requirement. And then, of course, that quality bar goes more and more into detail because then we have overall rules of what makes a good choice uh, because they should usually be in a moral gray zone. They shouldn't be too easy. Mm -hmm. You should have information to go on. So I think the simple answer is what I said at the start, very high quality bar, yeah. but then lots of freedom to actually go for something meaningful. Uh, but then we have so many small ones. But I think in a single word, I would still say that I think when we make quests, we see the I know, and I know that's going to sound pretentious, but <laughs> we, 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 we see the art first. So we kind of always try to, let's do something meaningful or at least do something interesting. And sometimes there's a small quest that's just a joke, but then at least let's make it interesting. Uh, we'd never want to just make a quest to fill content. Yeah. It's always, For the always interesting. For the purpose of doing a quest. Yeah. Exactly. I, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, because sometimes, you, you know, you do something and you just go through sort of go through the motions. You don't yeah. really stop and think. Yeah. I think there's there's like two main things that, that happen. One is the approach that we have, and the other one is the process that we have. Mm -hmm. The approach is that we, we're basically trying to tell stories. We're not looking for pretexts, pretexts for the players to do something. Mm -hmm. We're trying to tell them a story. So this is what mm -hmm. you were saying, right? We're just using all the tools of storytelling that you know from movies and, and, and books and exactly. old media, so to speak, but also incorporate them into, uh, into new media. Uh, which, you know, have their own uh, challenges. And, and uh, for example, an open world, right, is kind of uh, a challenging environment to put a linear story in. And you don't want your story to be linear as well, right? Mm -hmm. For the most part, sometimes yeah. it's okay, right? Um, and that also has its has its challenges. Uh, but our approach is that we treat each, each uh, 
quest as a story mm-hmm. uh, and I think that is uh, that informs everything else we do yeah. afterwards the other thing I was saying is the process yeah. which uh, which is I think it's kind of specific to to to, to how we work here uh, we work iteratively so mm-hmm. you know we put something down on paper uh, like you know the general theme vibe um, maybe, maybe you know we, we talk about the dramatic question stuff like this uh, what kind of story do we want to tell about what, you know, what, what is the general environment that we're exploring? Then we write uh, a sort of paper uh, design, which uh, we iterate on again mm-hmm. and again mm-hmm. and again. Uh, and then when once we're done on paper, then we move on to the engine. But then it's, it's again, it's a sketch, it's a draft, uh, and we iterate on that a lot. So I think... One of the things that is surprising to a lot of people, uh, maybe outside the industry, but I think inside the industry as well, is that it's not like you implement something and then it's done, yeah. right? And you never go back to it. You just keep keep working on it for basically the whole duration of yeah. the of the development process. Uh, so, so yeah, I think I think that also kind of informs the quality that mm-hmm. Philip was talking about. Well, maybe one last thing, because it's always, of course, easy. It's quests, and then there's quest mm-hmm. designers. But I think the truth is also one thing that makes it good is that so many people have yeah. a huge stake in there yeah. that when we start a quest, it used to be that it's more on quest designers and writers. Now we also, from the start, as an example, want to have our cinematic design mm-hmm. team really integrated yeah. in there, exactly the three musketeer <laughs> teams. Uh, so we actually do this really together. So all of these different things that go into a quest really make the highest quality. But one super important thing is also... And that's, of course, as a quest designer, sometimes mm-hmm. something that can be annoying to you. But as an example, that was for me when I learned during The Witcher 3, super important, that as an example, your lead quest designer, the lead writer or the game director, they actually play your content a lot. And their mm-hmm. their reviews, their feedback also changes your quest a lot. Sometimes in ways you might not you know, immediately understand, yeah. but you do not necessarily have the big outlook. So I had that moment many times where uh, in retrospect, I can say like, yeah, I guess that was for the better, Uh, even if I didn't think it that way. But that is also a really important part of that process, just that it's not a single person's game. It's just all of these people coming yeah, together. And, and uh, actually, yeah. this is this is really interesting because I think Boris said something pretty interesting recently, uh, and uh, and you actually, I have my uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you and you actually uh, kind of repeated it with your own words that in the end of the day there is a player, and you know, good design is not a monologue but it's a dialogue with the player. Mm-hmm. And this is tricky, right? Because you know it, 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 it is it is really tough. Because generally, you said about the pace, you said about the quality. You can have all kind of a storytelling tools incorporated into the quest. But in the end of the day, if this is linear and if let's say there is no choice in the end, you don't have actually this dialogue with the player. Can you elaborate a little bit more about this? What do you mean by that, having a dialogue? Uh, yeah, with because the like if you, if you look at it, like linear story, storytelling, and so generally all the media, but there are exceptions, uh, very specific ones, but let's not go into that. They are just a um, monologue, which is a, a person is telling you a story and you as a uh, viewer or reader, you don't really have any... You're uh, digesting, right? No, you you're just, yeah, you're just taking it in, right? Yeah, yeah. 
uh, it's it's really like uh, uh, maybe to make it a little bit more concrete it's really visible when you watch a horror movie mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. when you watch a horror movie you can sort of close off right and and just the thing just keeps going yeah. mm-hmm. right and if you can't take it you just you just stop interacting with it mm-hmm. but it just keeps going right so it's like someone's talking at mm-hmm. you right in a game though it's a little bit different because you are expected to um, interact and overcome the obstacles on your own, mm-hmm. right? So in a book or in a movie, you see a person overcoming these obstacles, whether they be internal or external, um, and you just witness it. You can you can have a judgment of what's going on. Sometimes the judgment is also forced on you. But at, in general, you're just watching and judging, right? In a game, you're the one who's actually doing the overcoming often, mm-hmm. uh, right? Even if it's a linear game, right? Uh, and again, in a horror game, if the monster is chasing you and you're you know uh, pulling on the door and the door is an opening, uh, you have to be the one opening the door and you have to be making the decision: Do I push or do I pull? Mm-hmm. And if I if I do it wrong, then you know I'll. I'll just die and we'll restart <laughs> until you get it down yeah. and, and until you figure it out. So mm-hmm. basically what the developer is doing is uh, asking the player questions like uh, this is a situation, uh, you know, there is a guy who's uh, uh, a werewolf, right? Mm-hmm. A quest from The Witcher 3, which I'm playing right now again. <laughs> and uh, uh, he doesn't want to hurt anyone so he goes into 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 a cave to kind of go through this process Uh, but then there's a woman who brings uh, her sister there because she loves the guy so she brings the sister to him because she wanted him her to see him as a werewolf so she stops loving him and so she can get with him right the effect is that the guy kills his wife he doesn't like it and then you are presented with the situation and judge it right do you Mm -hmm. do you do you who do you judge how do you judge them make a call right Uh, that's on the narrative level but also on the gameplay level like you can have um, you know you're you're presented with challenges right Mm -hmm. and then you're given tools and you use those tools to overcome those challenges depending on what that is you have you know smaller bigger degrees of freedom Mm, and and it's kind of up to you to to overcome this. So it's very different uh, in general, and I think it's more similar to the structure and back and forth of a dialogue. Uh, well, you know, you can also have a monologue where you just presented stuff and you yeah you take it in. Mm-hmm. Should yeah. there be like a little bit of both? Like, should there be things oh, yeah, which are work. which are kind of like telling everything as it is on face value and things that you li- leave kind of to the player to interpret, mm-hmm. so yeah. to, to have a good mixture. But I think that's actually one of the things that is special about our games, mm-hmm. which is we don't go to either extreme. Mm-hmm. We don't do the full linear storytelling so where we tell you everything we want to, but we also do not give you all the freedom, right? We don't give you the freedom to do make whatever choice yeah. you do, because at, in our games, you're still role-playing a character. Yeah. And not your role playing mm-hmm. any sort of different characters. We do give you freedom and we give you a certain range you can move in. But at the same time, for us, it's still important to tell particular stories that actually do have an arc, that do have a certain, as an example, you know, in The Witcher, it's the typical Sapkowski short stories thing mm-hmm. where there is a certain moral yeah. or where yeah. there is a certain yeah. thing that we want to subvert. Yeah. And that is still a story we want to tell. Mm-hmm. And within that story, we want to give you choice and we want mm-hmm. to give you full consequences. But as an example, uh, we see our balance in a way that we give you choice insofar as we still are able to tell also okay. that story. So within some limitations, some exactly within a certain framework. Yeah. But, but uh, I want to say that 
you can because these are like approaches that you can use even within one story. You can mm-hmm. use both, and there are places where um, linear storytelling uh, so uh, is 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 more um, appropriate mm-hmm. to use, and there are places where uh, the open stuff is more appropriate to use. So I'll give you an example mm-hmm. again: uh, exposition, right? Mm-hmm. The the intro of a quest, right? Yeah. Usually, you don't want to give the player choices there because, because you're setting you, the you're setting base. up the scene, yeah. yeah, with the motivations, the characters, the conflicts, the the genre, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want. You have to be you know, brief because you yeah. have, you know, some time to work with and then the player's patience runs out, right? Uh, but, and it's, it's it's the same thing for movies. I think in movies it's like 30 to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And after that you have to have, you have to have everything set up. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise the film, the, the film feels, and I come from, you know, film theory background. So okay. Okay. I, I, I usually go back to that when, when I have doubts. Um I lost. I lost my train of thought. Uh, remind me what I was. You, you said the amount of time you have to. Yes, set yes. Yeah. You have. You have. Sorry. You have mm-hmm. the amount of time that you're allotted as a as yeah. a developer to sort of set up the mm-hmm. scene, and if you don't do that within that time frame, it feels like the film is meandering. And what am I? What am I even even watching? Like, what what is the character working towards? Who am I supposed to root for? Right. Yeah. But, it's it's yeah. the same thing in in games. But, and but, that's what the place. I'll, I'll just finish yeah, my sentence. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, that's, that's the place. Sorry, because I got excited. <laughs> that's that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I lost my train of thought. Train of thought. Uh, so, so that's that's uh, the moment where you probably don't want to give the player too much freedom. I know this sounds bad, but it is for a good cause because they need to understand what they're choosing from. They yeah. need to understand the yeah. context, the stakes, everything. Right? Um, yeah, that's, that's super cool because I was actually aiming for it because you know let's let's blend into the quest designer role, yeah. uh, right? And like as a discipline, even in the whole structure. Because uh, we started with this having a dialogue with the player, right? But you set the rules. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you set actually genre. You, you, like, and this is cool because you actually need to frame the player to have a dialogue on your terms uh, instead of having like free for all, whatever, because then you lose the theme, you lose the conflict, you lose the... Uh, um, uh, mm, you should simply care about what's going on in the quest. And, and, and this setup needs to be kind of provided in a way that nobody knows about it, <laughs> but people want to play on your terms. And that's the dialogue when it's happening, right? Yeah, so we, we choose the topic mm-hmm. of conversation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we need to do it well because it needs to fit the, the overall theme of the game. And um, the player defines where they want to take that conversation yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it's also yeah. within some some yeah. framework, like you said, mm-hmm. that we need to keep it in. But that's also actually where where one thing is really important, where we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking like, but this branch of the quest is the one that I actually want to tell. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the that's the best story. So, you know, I'm giving the other branches yeah. because, well, it's non-linearity. And then you have that's, cyberpunk where you feel like none of the like the decisions that you make are good and that you're yeah. kind of, it's in between. Like, I, I, I also wanted to interject before because you said that, you know, we kind of, um, when it comes to the RPGs that we do, we kind of uh, are, are, are kind of, you know, there is also like a ramification in terms of things that we can do, but I feel like Cyberpunk kind of broke that a little bit because you're building your own character there and it's much different than The Witcher where you have Geralt as the main protagonist. Here you have V who can be pretty much like it's only defined into, into like three, like, you know, street uh, kid, corporal or, or nomad, right? But that's, that's, but it can also branch out and you can make your character whatever you want. So I feel like there's there's more options coming from here, but to a certain extent. Yeah. No, because I was I um, I was thinking about it, and I think V is a 
pretty defined character at the end okay. of the day, right? Uh, even male and female V, uh, to me at least personally, like we set out to do, um, I guess a more open character, what you're talking yeah. about. And, you know, we're, it's not defined, the character is not defined, the characters, because mm-hmm. really there's like two, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not defined to the extent that Geralt is, right? Yeah. Um, but they do have some, uh, they have their own voice. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of this comes to down to the writing and mm-hmm. the way that, that they're being uh, acted. And f- funny story, when we were uh, working on, on, on Cyberpunk, we made the conscious decision that uh, quest designers are going to think of V as a female uh, mm-hmm. character, while uh, the writers uh, think of uh, V as a uh, male character, right? Okay. So we didn't want to have any kind of, uh, you know, gaze and, mm-hmm. um, you know, be it female gaze or male gaze and, you know, approach to, to the world. Um so we, we did this, and to me personally, like V is always a woman. When I see uh, male That's V, it's okay. kind of it's kind of like uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's cool, but it's not the real V. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it was a real conscious choice to me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we were used to Geralt. We were always yeah. used yeah. to writing yeah. for Geralt, yeah. making quests yeah. for Geralt. So when we knew, okay, we're making a new character, and that character can also be a woman, we just made it a rule when we wrote our quest design documents to always write she. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so we remind ourselves in our brain that this is a different kind of character where nice. now we actually have to consider more than maybe with Geralt. Yeah. And I do think there are things, as an example, with as you, as you said, with the life paths, mm-hmm. that this kind of gives you a promise yeah. of being able to play more different kinds of characters. Mm-hmm. I think this is a thing where in the future, that's as an example, something we do would like to improve. Mm-hmm. Since I do think we gave a promise there that maybe in the end we did not really mm. sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, the game begins with this very specific thing. You can be a nomad, a corpo, uh, a street kid. But then it sometimes goes away a little bit. We move it all together. Then sometimes it you can do it. You but can branch out to different Exactly. Also, but yeah. I think it's something where as a quest designer... I think in retrospect, we can see that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the old so topic. making it more meaningful in the sense of what you choose, exactly. you can actually pursue yeah, that. The old topic, more. given more experience, given more time, I think maybe we would make it a bit less muddled uh, than we did it there. Because uh, as an example with Geralt, uh, once Witcher 3 was made, uh, a lot of people in the studio already had made, made games with Geralt a few mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And as an example, some like myself who only worked on Witcher Wild and they didn't work on Witcher 1 or 2, I still had played those games. Yeah. So it did feel natural to, okay, I kind of have a feeling for how Geralt could make choices, yeah, right? What's his good. range of choices? I all It felt kind of natural. And for Cyberpunk, we had to learn that again from scratch, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think there were growing pains, but that's also, I think, part of the fun uh, as a designer. Mm-hmm. I, I think with the life paths, it's... Um, it's it's the life that you leave as V, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so whatever you used to do before, uh, exactly. there's a clear moment where yeah. it all crumbles, yeah. right? And you start a new life with with Jackie, and you, you and and so this is. But you have the foundation in the back of your head. Yes, also, yes. depending on you know the yes. the choices that you can say, how you can reply to people. If you're a street kid, it's very specific to your background there. Yeah, but sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, 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 sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we would like it to matter more right mm-hmm. uh, but i think 
the way it plays out right now, it's it's like you come from a certain kind of life, right? Mm-hmm. And that life has ended. It's in the past, and now you're living this new new life, mm-hmm. which ends. Spoiler <laughs> in the prologue, and then you have you have to deal with the consequences of that. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah. It also kind of tells you about cyberpunk and Night City and everything that happened in the game as a genre. Like, what what you can expect because the outcomes are never they're never like jolly good and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean because because the way it, it, and there's like people essays on YouTube that I listen listen yeah. to and people get it right that yeah the um the initial uh motivation for V is uh, I think very close to uh, the motivation of of a lot of people right yeah. it's, it's just power money yes, right yes. stuff like this things Making uh, respect mm-hmm. you know all that stuff and it it's it, I remember doing this this uh, comparison once uh, when we kind of nailed down the, the the basic premise of the story that it's very similar to Pokemon and Ash, oh, uh, the very best, uh, because he wants to be to be the very best, right? Uh, uh, and this is in this world, especially this is a very childish uh, dream, yeah. and it gets confronted with this brutal reality of yeah. the world. And like, there's tons of people like you in this world, and uh, you are faced with uh, you know, you know the, the the brutal reality of of yeah. this childish dream. It ends in everyone you know and you cared about dying, basically, yourself included, right? And then you sort of have to pick up the pieces in the story. Yeah. And then you meet a person who's done kind of the same things, right, Johnny? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, ostracize the people or sacrifice the people that they love, that they, they should be caring about because that's kind of important, yeah. right? Uh, and, and, and this is my personal interpretation of the story. And this is because, you know, I've been working on The Nomads so long, yeah. which is kind of like a... Um, counterweight mm-hmm. to what's mm-hmm. happening in the city, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, the values. I love that. that. I love the yeah. nomad path because you, you yeah. you're kind of away from the chaos. Yeah, yeah. In a way. Yeah, but, in but a way. <laughs> for these people, uh, for the nomads, the important things are um, are each other, right? Yes, I and love in the that. city, you know, you kind of sacrifice Jackie and T Bug and mm-hmm. and and pretty much everyone else f- to chase this dream, this childish dream that you have. Uh, and Dex does the same to you, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> I don't a, have a point. Of and I'm, I'm really happy that also that this kind of bled into edge runners because it shows mm. you the same the same thing. Like people, like there's no happy ending. It's very noir. It's very it's very dark. Well, I feel like there was more happy endings and positive outcomes in The Witcher. Like it was, yeah. Like but you know, the common thing between, let's say, edge runners and and V uh, doesn't matter if it's female or male or whatever you you know whatever your your path is is that you don't want to be a, a cock into the corporal machine. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And actually, that makes you defined from the yeah. get go. Uh, and this is a very strong motivation, as also Bajay mentioned, right? Uh, and so. We kind of set it set it up like you kind of like a container, yeah. But actually, you are defined more yeah. or less uh, just to make sure that the motivation is going to be strong, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would like to get back to the quest yeah. role, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, because we we are a little bit derailed, which was really fun and and cool. But guys, could you please elaborate? Like, how does it really look? And 
what, who who's like you know quest designer like in the structure because for me personally it's like it's like a like a small director that directs the quest and stuff takes care like connects all the dots and all this kind of stuff right uh, uh but but uh, t- tell us please and explain it in your own words uh i mean it's tricky because basically what you say i would say is right mm-hmm. in some sense that you mm-hmm. are the person in the middle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the end of the day as a quest designer, you are responsible for that thing, which is the quest coming together in the end. And often you're, not always, sometimes we switch around, mm-hmm. but often you're there from the inception. You might write that initial pitch to the final thing. And you're you're supposed to be the constant that makes sure that all of these different parts that need to go in a quest come together. Mm-hmm. And that's your responsibility as a quest designer. Mm-hmm. The tricky thing with calling us director is also that this is a trap for quest designers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're often, not, well, I wouldn't say actually often, but rarely that can also happen that this can come, get to some people's heads that yeah. they feel like, well, you other people working on a quest, mm-hmm. I'm telling you what to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. the boss, but that's yeah. also not true. You're the person in the middle that is really making sure to facilitate all of that. Exactly. But what your actual job is to make sure that all of these people can do the best job possible in their regard. So this all comes together. You're not supposed to be their boss because they have bosses of their own that make sure that mm-hmm. the quality is really there. So I think... You, you give them the context, they, exactly. they make the calls, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think the way I organize it... Uh, sorry, you were, you were saying I cut you off. Well, no, exactly, okay. exactly yeah. this. But at, at the end of the day, you're also just a check of all trades. Yeah, right? exactly. This is what exactly. That's what we exactly. want. Exactly. To, to even have that in the notes. Yeah, it's it's really hard to find uh, because okay, the way I structured in my head is, uh, you know, when when grandma asks, for example, right? Uh, it's it's <laughs> kind of hard to explain. What do you do? Uh, yeah, what do you do <laughs> daily? Like you come to the office and what what, what is exactly that you do, right? So. Uh, it, uh, the way I structure it in my head is there's three pillars mm-hmm. to to what we do. Uh, one is uh, being the ideas person, and a lot of okay. people m- miss um, misunderstand this that that's all there is. It's absolutely not not that yeah. all there is. I so have an idea for a quest, and you guys yeah, just do it's, it. It's super important. <laughs> and you tell uh, me that your grandma is buying this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this, this is a, a bit, you know, a bigger explanation than the grandma's explanation. But it's a really but, important one because idea guy is what a lot of people aspire to be. Yes. And yeah. that job doesn't exist. Yeah. No one needs an yeah. idea guy. <laughs> it's a very small part. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe if you're like a n- narrative director or whatever. I don't know, Philip, is that... <laughs> well, I... I I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to see my role as being no, the guy that gives everyone is. else I ideas. I have yeah. an idea. You <laughs> implement it. Yeah, yeah. It's I'll not, judge it. It's absolutely yeah, yeah. not how it works. Exactly. So, so, so yeah. But, but I think there's like three pillars to it. The one is uh, design or like narrative, right? And that's that's what we do. We, we're basically script writers mm-hmm. um, to to some extent. We don't write dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's uh, out of our field of expertise. Though some people, you know. As, as Seba said, you know, jack of all trades. So some people gravitate towards maybe better, you know, dialogue more or, or yeah. something like that. Or this. just maybe like yeah. switching and changing yeah, the dialogue yeah. so a little th- bit or working closer with narrative to kind of yeah. adjust yes, things yes, yes, so yes, it works yes, within I mean, the we, quest, we, right? We do write initial, we call it debug, debug dialogue, yeah. but like mm-hmm. the pre-dialogue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, debug. you know, it can be very general. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes if a quest designer has a very specific idea, they tend to write, we call it shadow writing, which usually we're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes... 
that's it happens. It, and if you if you're it's you know organic process exactly, right. and if you're really linked in with the writer and that works, mm-hmm. great. But usually mm. our job is to write the general idea of the dialogue, the mm. character, the main choices that are happening. But then we actually give it to the people that are experts in that field, which are our writers. And they're pretty good. The the other pillar is uh, implementation, which mm-hmm. is you know, all the technical stuff. We do a lot of technical stuff yeah. and. Uh, I think I saw those things like where you connect uh, yeah. the the stuff and it's yeah, like it becomes like a bowl of spaghetti like a, almost exactly. like with all the possibilities. Box, you yeah. get this, you get this outcome. If you do this, you do get this. But if you do this, you get go there. And it's yeah. like yeah. it's like a jumble. So, so there's there's a uh, little coding in that. Uh, there used to be more, you know, you know, back in the day. Uh, right now, you, you can be you know a good technical quiz mm-hmm. designer and not even know how to code, which to some people it's mind blowing. Wow. It really helps because it, it puts your, and, yeah. you know, th- there, are, there are people in our team who can do this, but um, it, it, and from my own experience, I know it really helps um, to, to kind of structure your logic mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, understanding like basic programming concepts and yeah. stuff like this. Um, so, so that's the, like the second pillar, the technical implementation and Duration wise, during the production process, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that's like probably 90%, 80%, something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that the uh, design phase, which, you know, kind of is really heavy at the beginning, but then goes on t- uh, throughout the whole process because of the situation that we're doing. Um, that doesn't mean that the design is less important. It's just uh, the, 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 the foundation that you build on. And I think it's good that it's important that we we also have to actually do the things that we want to do, not only talk about them or tell other people to do them, mm-hmm. like Philip said. Um, so that's the two pillars. And then there's the third pillar, which is the being uh, uh, a director, I guess, like like or we like we bit covered, as well. maybe kind of a producer, kind you know, like just a, movie, a right? yeah, yeah, being this connecting tissue between mm-hmm. all these disciplines. Yeah. So you you could say, and this is the grandma explanation, that uh, we are uh, script writers, um, scripters slash programmers, okay. uh, which are uh, probably scripters, not programmers, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. programming is much more involved, and then directors, and then you, you say you say those three things. To grandma, you should probably say programmer because it's you know, it yeah yeah it yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy and then and then I work I think, in IT yeah. yeah and then I think they get it right and that's 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 who we are am I correct in saying that or do you think? yeah no but it, it's really we're doing a little bit of everything so yeah. that there's actually a reason why a lot of quest designers used to be modders because oh, often yes. they're people used to doing all of these things yeah right yeah. Doing a bit of level design, doing yeah. a bit of the cinematics, because yeah. that's also one big challenge. As an example, on Cyberpunk, every quest designer had to have technical knowledge at least, yeah. not necessarily the real expertise, but the technical knowledge of a lot of these tools, mm-hmm. of the tools that the level designers used, of the tools that the cinematic designers used. We had to make scenes too sometimes, or at least be able to fix them. And that is really a job that demands a lot of broad technical knowledge, yeah. if not necessarily the extreme deep uh, version in all of these directions. The extreme deep one is in our quest tool. I also always feel like a quest designer has a bigger, wider visibility in terms of like the whole product, so like, like multiple, the product as the, as the multiple whole. Multiple hearts, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of knows yeah. what else everyone is kind of working yeah. on and sees the building blocks that come into, you know, telling a story and doing quests and actually yeah. having the player engage that, into that, that. That's what I meant saying that we 
that our main responsibility is not to tell people what to do in that yeah. third pillar, yeah. right? But to give them the context of what they're mm-hmm. doing. Because you have a VFX artist, for example, yeah. who's doing beautiful mm-hmm. VFX, but he or she doesn't really mm, probably understand the full context of, of how this plays into the, the whole thing. Because, you know, they, they, they have their, their mm-hmm. own... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm breath of knowledge that they need to use and that sort of leads to a a kind of tunnel vision right so we're there to sort of like inform them on of like how this is going to play out and with that information you know seb's coming from an animator uh, background uh i i don't remember if it was you or someone from your team but i remember um telling some animator was told me during blood and wine it was like a you know teachable moment for me mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. told me don't tell me what i should do like tell me uh, what do you want to say through it yeah, right yeah. <laughs> and then and then i said okay okay so i i'm not supposed to tell you the gestures that you're supposed exactly. to yeah. animate yeah. just the general vibe of what you're nice. trying to yeah. do yeah that's and, a good and, question yeah. from animator right? yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know who told me that but uh respect like good acting person. is actually a, yeah. a a context and the subtext yeah, yeah. And the subtext actually very often defines the yeah. gestures. Mm. Uh, just, and, yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different podcast, though, yeah. pretty much. You could do oh, like a whole yeah. episode yeah. on how story informs animation yeah. and all that we'll stuff. We'll have one, we'll yeah, have one. for sure. But that, as an example, is one of those lessons I think we learned why we earlier said that we have now the three musketeers that are really there from the yeah. beginning, the quest designer, writer, and cinematic designer. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it used to be that it's mostly writer and quest designer. Mm-hmm. And then we often, yeah. as an example, produced scenes where we the characters say a lot and they think a lot but maybe they don't do a lot yeah. and mm-hmm. then a lot of work after the quest design already mm-hmm. stood had to be done to actually make the scenes interesting yeah. so the cinematic designer can actually do their job in the best way possible direct the scene make sure there's action uh and, and that often happened late yeah. and now we want to make sure that we actually have yeah. those things connected. much more yeah. connected at the beginning I'm really happy you said this because that ties in perfectly to the next question for us, uh, which was how, what's the recipe for a perf- perfect quest? And it kind of ties into this because you have cutscenes, you have the cinematics, you have gameplay, but you also have, you know, the, the, the places where the player is fully engaged in this kind of going, looking through mm-hmm. things and kind of sometimes finding maybe, I don't know, some information through, I don't know, shards or through notes which are left or letters like uh, in The Witcher, which kind of inform you more in terms of what's happening in the quest. But then you are moved on to, let's say, a cutscene in which, you know, there's, you, you see the, the uh, like how the characters react to what's happening or um, they're informing the player in terms of like what's happening. So what's the, what's like a good recipe? What's, what's the, what's the perfect mix in terms of, uh, you know, a Thanks. little bit of this, mm-hmm. a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and then you have a perfect quest. Or is I, there, I or wish, is there anything there was, like that? That would make but, our okay. job very easy. Yeah. yeah, because it sounds dangerously close to template, right? Yeah, uh, which we and, try to avoid here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you, you could say a bunch of like guidelines. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. but and I think this is this is what mm-hmm. you're asking for. But there isn't like one recipe. You know, uh, after an exposition, you should have uh, some combat and then some chase and, and something because that that just doesn't work out if it doesn't you know work with the context mm-hmm. of the story you're trying to tell. I mean, super simply, and for me that actually still makes sense. Ten years ago, when I started in my first weeks, I was just asked uh, pitch quests, just come up with quest ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, our lead quest designer at the time, Mateusz Tomaszkiewicz, he gave me very simple rules. He said, okay, every quest that you're pitching right now, it should have a twist mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. It should have a moral choice. 
and don't forget to put gameplay in there. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, at a basic absolute core, that actually makes perfect sense, at least for that early step when you're actually coming up with an idea. Because if you're coming up with a quest idea, there should already be room for gameplay. I don't need to have a full gameplay design, but if I come up with a quest pitch that's just a really cool story, but there's not a lot for the player to do, mm-hmm. then it's probably not a good yeah. quest pitch. If yeah. I come up with a quest pitch that's just a completely awesome linear story, but without a good choice, then that's not a good yeah. Witcher quest or yeah. a cyberpunk quest because we want to have those choices. So I think those simple recipes, they're good and they work, but then a lot of it is really, it, it really is iteration. Like we, 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 we go through there. And of course, there's always exceptions. Yeah, right? no, because yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I immediately want to challenge that because uh, not every quest should have a twist or not every story. Let's, let's just use the word. Well, story. let's say change because, because, instead of twist, right? Like yeah, something sure, should but, change. But, but if, you, if you do it this way, then you end up with the player expecting a twist or a refocus, you know, because sometimes it's a refocusing of the problem, you know, recontextualizing of the problem, big words, but you know what I mean. Uh, And and then we end up in a situation where you're sort of detaching yourself emotionally from from the story you're playing through because you know that there will be a twist. So you're kind of waiting, okay, but what's the punchline? What's the punchline? But actually, but the way we're doing it is like, uh, it's it's a matter of like how we set up the consequence in the end. And you can do it through the twist. You can do it through the... <clears throat> and uh, other different, let's say, uh, uh, flow. But the, the, the in my opinion, like the trickiest part is as soon as we're setting up, let's say, the choices, and you'll say, let's say you're playing the quest, you let people play the quest. And it seems that in the end that nine out of 10 people are choosing A. Mm-hmm. That's the trickiest part because there's no choice. Yeah. And and in my opinion, like, like, like that's the trickiest part. And uh, I'm wondering like, what do you guys think? Because to be honest, like the sweet spot is 50-50, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or at least 6-4. And that's the sweet spot. But making, let's say, uh, like, like, um, Making it like everyone to care kinda evenly, uh, it's it's really it's really tricky. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's not a specific recipe for a choice like that, but I think the truth lies in always giving a lot of context, mm-hmm. but then keeping the consequences surprising, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. your outcomes, you shouldn't already know the exact outcomes, mm-hmm. but once the outcome happens, I need to actually have context beforehand. So yeah. when I make my choice, yeah. I can guess okay, this could mean either this or this could mean either this. And we always have to make sure that you at least have something to go on. If it's just completely random and you're like, go A or go B, but I don't even know what those are, then it's just a completely random choice and it's not narratively terribly mm-hmm. interesting. But at the same time, yeah. if I already know what yeah. A and B will be exactly, yeah. then it's also not a good choice. Yeah, so it, it is a kind of a field in the middle yeah. and this is something we try yeah. to get right really early. But it still happens sometimes that this, like in practice this yeah. just doesn't work. But then that's actually where another uh, discipline comes in that's super fucking important for us mm-hmm. and it's basically our narrative QA because mm-hmm. they're the ultimate players right because I had those moments where in quest I made huge changes because I assumed the players would feel a certain way I assumed mm-hmm. the players yeah I think they would choose this or they would choose this but then in practice 
a narrative QA plays it and they all make that same choice and then they tell me, well, mm -hmm. because of this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and because, you know, you can, of course, as a storyteller, you can always, you have a feeling for these things, right? Mm -hmm. So often you do get those things, you can try to get those things right, but you're always, you know your quest, mm -hmm. you know all your intentions. Mm -hmm. You're not a player, you're not unbiased. And this is why we have our narrative QA who are basically... Well, they're the experts and actually yeah. telling you exactly where all of these things need to come from. But at the same time, they are that player. They yeah. are trying to play this unbiased and they can actually tell you the yeah. truth that you might not be able to see. And that's also important, I think. It's also something that you mentioned that kind of having someone who is not as close to the thing because you said like whenever you're working on something, you're very close to it. And then sometimes you will not think of possible outcomes or how this can be interpreted. But mm -hmm. then you have someone coming in from that, that hasn't been working like hands-on maybe on it, but seeing it for the first time, that person's experience and the choices that they make would be totally different than the ones that you kind of envisioned in your head, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know that feeling when you repeat a word so many times that it stops having any meaning, yeah, it just loses yeah, all meaning. Yeah. So that's kind of what happens, you know, as, uh, with every story. I want to say especially with horror, but really with every story. Like you, you play it so many times that you yeah. stop, like you just go into full yeah. tunnel vision yeah. mode. And you're thinking about, you know, challenges, problems that you have to face so as to solve, uh, you know, technical stuff, then talking to an animator and just <laughs> yourself coming, you know, uh, managing to, to do another iteration for a deadline, all that stuff. And, and it's sort of, uh, at some point you, you kind of, uh, lose this, this understanding, mm -hmm. but there are, there are, uh, there are moments. So, so yeah, the outside perspective is super important. And we also have safety nets because, uh, well, right now we are sort of on, on the, on the safety net level because the leadership, the directors, et cetera, everyone plays those things. So it's not up to the quest designer and it ends there. It's like mm -hmm. levels, yeah. right? Um, but there are also, cool moments uh, that in the lifetime of a, of a quest that um, really sort of refresh it for you. Okay. Uh, so one th one moment is where actual dialogue lands, like real written dialogue, not the debug dialogue, because then you're like, oh, okay, this is mm -hmm. this is what uh, how you can see it. This is how you can interpret it. It's very fresh, right? Mm -hmm. So it refreshes it for you. Another moment like this is when VOs land, because yeah. then you get the actor's interpretation of all of this stuff. Um, another Very moment is music yeah. when it lands. It's it's Ooh, yeah. refreshing oh, music again. And sets it up. Yeah, it it because it tells you like music. Yeah. Music sometimes you know it just tells you what you're supposed what to feel. feel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So so at that point when you you're faced with someone's interpretation of what you're doing, it gets refreshed in your head and you get a a, a new perspective on it. And it's uh, it's really cool also because uh, it starts to feel alive. And when I play Witcher 3 now, uh, you know, I used to work on it, but when I play it, 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 it to some extent, it's like, you, you know, going back, uh, you know, home to, <laughs> to an old <laughs> place that, that you I know, and, that. and, and uh, all the stories and, and, and familiar stuff. Familiar place. Yeah, yeah, familiar place, exactly. But on the other hand, it almost feels to me, I don't know about you guys, but to me, it feels like it's a... Uh, um, it's an entity of its own right mm -hmm. now. It's grown up and went into the world and, and, uh, um, 
it couldn't have been any other way. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it just. It, I mean, of course, there's stuff that we want to correct. You know, it's, it's never finished. We, we had this conversation before yeah. we started yeah. recording. Never ending iteration in terms yeah, of like yeah, what yeah, we yeah, can yeah. do better, and you're, it's something that defines done. us. I feel like as a company. Mm. Yeah. So one follow-up actually is because uh, it seems that quest designers are like jack of all trades, as we said, one month band kind of, and it's probably super easy to be overwhelmed with the amount of things that quest designer hasn't played. And you said something, Barry, that actually there are some gates mm. in the quest lifetime that actually refresh your perspective. Yes. Um, and there is also a feedback that comes, let's say, as Philip said, from the, let's say, our internal narrative QA, our players, narrative players. Uh, also, um, but do you have anything that helps you guys to really refresh your perspective to like just just to not be overwhelmed on daily basis? Because I remember, let's say, this is the same same story with animation. Like you are so quickly being, let's say, uh, mm, tired of what you see on screen. That does some special, you know, tricks that animators can do to refresh the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm wondering what what are your tricks to refresh your eye and to not be overwhelmed and still to make sure that the pace of the quest and the surprise in the end, I think I like I rather like to call it surprise rather than twist mm-hmm. because twist actually yeah Shyamalan. you know what I mean. exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, so any any advices here and any tricks like talking from experience. I think prioritization. Uh, so mm-hmm. technically like our process. If things go well, it doesn't always go well. Our process helps with that. Because mm-hmm. as an example, when you begin a quest, you're in paper design. Yeah. So you're not handling all of those other people and teams. You're sitting there with your the three musketeers. You're pitching. You're writing a quest design. You're writing story beats. And if the process works nicely, that stuff should come one after another before you actually start going in the engine. And then it still starts rather simple because the quest designer then works first by themselves. I set up the structure myself. I put in all the things in the level. I set up the scenes. I write the you know very basic dialogue. Uh, and I don't already have to necessarily, as an example, think of, oh my God, what music will I have? What VFX <laughs> will I have? Because that's a step later. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes we have a... You know, sometimes you know it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. When, when yeah. the process actually works as it should, <laughs> then you don't have to. Sometimes, unfortunately, you do. Uh, but we have those gates mm-hmm. where... S- after another, more and more things come in. But then when you have all the things at the same time and when you have 250 bugs on uh, one section of one quest, you do really just have to know your priorities. So as an example, you can really just check what's the highest priority. I'll just focus on this. Or that's what I used to do. Sometimes I just say, okay, I'll take this five-minute stretch of the quest and I just fix everything. Uh, I love this I fix approach. everything, wow. yeah. start to finish, I'm done, and then I play it. I see all the things that are still wrong. I make my notes. Mm-hmm. I fix all of them. Okay, it's finished. And now I move to the next stretch. Okay. And this is what I personally always did. You, of course, need to know when you can afford that. <laughs> if you have what we call a P0 priority, so yeah. you have to fix this now. As an example, the game doesn't continue at that point. Yeah. Well, you got to fix that now. Yeah, of course. Uh, but it, it helps to really focus your mind on, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. And can, and then can that calm that. you down also? Trust the process. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because yes. like, yeah, yeah, that's super cool. There, there's a bunch of other tricks that you can do. Tricks, yeah. 
let's call them tricks. Uh, uh, one is, for example, jumping between types of content, right? Uh, mm-hmm. so, I mean, between not even types of content, what I'm saying, uh, between between quests, right? You have a bunch of different quests that you jump, jump between. And, uh, you know, ideally, you'd have the luxury of just stepping away for, for a month, you know, letting it boil, mm-hmm. letting it simmer, let, let it yeah. cook, right? Mm-hmm. You come back and you look at it and you understand, you know, right? But obviously you don't have that. Um, with deadlines and everything. So you, you can do a similar thing, which is just jump between different uh, different cool. quests. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of forget that uh, previously. I also do uh, another thing. Uh, my wife has an NDA signed, so I just tell her the stories mm-hmm. and I look at her, right? Nice. And, and so when I see I'm losing her, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I see that, okay, this is probably the spot where, where, you know, we still need to work at it a little bit, or I see where she, you know, is a, a bit, like a bit more interested. So mm-hmm. maybe I should tap Pursue into that, that more, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and you can do the same thing with your, your, your <laughs> colleagues at work, right? Uh, yeah. Bouncing <laughs> ideas <laughs> off of each other. Is yeah, really yeah, cool. no, yeah. No, totally. Like yeah. uh, sometimes it's, we, we do this thing where we, uh, you know, ask, uh, you know, you know the 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 rubber ducky test that programmers do, right? Yes. They just explain mm-hmm. to the ducky uh, what what they uh, what they're intending to do with mm-hmm. the code. Similar thing, um, you, you ask a person to be a rubber duck, <laughs> however weird that sounds. <laughs> and sometimes even by by talking on your own, you realize, okay, I need to look at this more or, or whatever. And sometimes they will tell you, sometimes they will. T- they, you ask them to play this thing. And this mm-hmm. is actually something that we incorporate in our process, which is peer reviews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We ask, you know, we just switch around with the quests yeah. uh, and... and uh, uh, you know, someone plays your stuff and they, they tell you what's important to them. Also another thing, but this is kind of uh, post-release, but it is super, uh, uh, I think valuable just watching mm-hmm. people play online. Yeah. Uh, you, you see what they pay attention, mm-hmm. uh, towards towards yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so that uh, for example i have i have an, an example here mm-hmm. uh i i saw a, a youtuber play uh, i don't remember who that was uh play one of my quests the the uh, uh, never mind what the quest was i'll just set up the situation it okay. was a negotiation right mm-hmm. uh, you were negotiating for supplies with like criminal elements in novigrad mm-hmm. right uh, you were doing that as gerald by proxy because the uh, the guy that you were uh, kind of helping out he wasn't really you know too 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 much of a negotiator i guess yeah, so, yeah Hattori. you needed you needed, the, you needed the muscle <laughs> yeah 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 so so i mean initially the plan was that he would do it but he was kind of you know not not uh, sort of get all just to cover right yeah. and and you can let him talk by the way i think uh, yes. I, I don't exactly remember um i'll, I'll replay it probably today <laughs> uh but um uh, yeah th- i saw for me it was just very mechanical mm-hmm. uh, because i knew that uh, it was mostly like we were trying to get into that moment where you think about the negotiation or the possible consequences mm-hmm. but really there weren't any to that specific place. There were consequences in other places of this quest, but here we didn't want to because you had to have the deal, right, yeah. for, for the materials. Yeah. So uh, we just made it feel like it was important. And to me, this was just kind of clicking through because, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, you know when I was testing the quest, I was just 
slamming, mashing yeah, the button, yeah. and just just I just forgot this was a thing even right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the writer, this was important because he was like you know weighing the the pros and cons mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff. I, I wasn't because I was focused on something else. And then I watched uh, that guy on YouTube uh, play it, and he was agonizing over each and every choice and there were like three of them uh, and, and he I was the uh, same problem <laughs> yeah and 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 and, and, and you know there, the, he reached a moment where the 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 people you were negotiating with were, were just leaving the scene and 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 Hattori was like oh no we, we have to we have to get them back and Geralt was was no 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 let's let's keep it cool let's keep it cool and it it, it felt like a breaking bad moment I think <laughs> uh, and and I wasn't Com- I was completely unaware that that was a thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back when, back in 2015 or something, yeah. right? Uh, right now, I pay a little bit more attention thanks to that story. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That's so cool. actually, yeah, I, like I have a question, guys, uh, for you. Like your your favorite quest and why in CP and Witcher Free? Yes, because. <laughs> but you mean of generally or generally ones that like we this, did? The, you you call the category the one that moved you or the one that was the most entertaining or More the challenging one to work on. challenging yeah like it's your call it can but be yours it can be someone else's the the brightest memory you know what I mean yeah from CPN which are free I know it's tough because I hate this a lot question. of good stuff yeah, it's, 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 it's it's hard yeah yeah I hate this question and I should really be uh, prepared for it because it comes up so often <laughs> I mean the, the, the last thing you yeah. said I think I can answer because it's a very simple one like yeah. the brightest memory yeah, yeah, yeah. and for me that is uh, during Blood and Wine because um, it was a thick personal thing for me I, I wanted to do a, a simple quest uh, where the Lady of the Lake gives you back Aerodite oh, your yeah. sword from the Witcher oh, 1 and I was a huge yeah. I was a huge fan of the Witcher 1 yeah I always thought like oh that, that's, that was so nice that that moment when you get that sword and I still know that song that plays i think it's called silver sword on the soundtrack mm-hmm. so so awesome and i pitched that quest i implemented it uh later actually one of our quest designers rafa jankowski he actually finished that quest uh one of the quest designers at that time uh and i had requested music uh from uh uh mm-hmm. uh and i just said can we have a melody from the witcher one when you get that sword mm-hmm. back like one of these, because I know all of these Witcher One songs, River of Life, all of those songs. And he made one, and it's called It's Task of a Northern Kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's the song in Witcher One. And he made a reference to that song when you get that sword. And I saw it implemented for the first time in that quest when that cutscene plays. And I actually did get a little tear in my oh, eye. And I was like, look, nice. I, I was that huge Witcher fan, and now I'm sitting here and I got got, got to do that little thing. And you know, that's a small quest. It's one of the smaller quests I did. I did much huger quests. Big stuff, cool stuff, but I always remember that one moment because I yeah. think that was also, you know, back in those days, Sentiment. we sometimes worked late. Yeah. I think it was like 9 p.m. in the office. Yeah. People were already gone and I just sat there in darkness and that thing played. Oh, and that was really nice. Sounds epic. There, there are moments, right, that, that stay with you, right, that mm-hmm. stick with you. I remember uh, one of the epilogues for Cyberpunk, for example. It wasn't even my quest. I was just... Uh, kind of uh, fixing bugs for it for a while just just to cover because you know to answer your previous question we always do this thing where we uh, not always sometimes do this thing where we switch around uh, the quest and we work on someone else's for a moment and you know then we switch around it again we try to keep it uh, proprietary so to speak Mm -hmm. you know so everyone 
can sort of have their own stories, but sometimes it's good to switch around. And mm-hmm. this is what happened in this specific case. I got the ending where uh, Johnny is uh, overtook V's body mm-hmm. and he's saying goodbye to her. The, the thing with Steve and the guitar and mm-hmm. etc. And as I was fixing those bugs, I, I didn't see this quest before. I didn't read about it. It was just, and it was an epilogue, right? So sorry about the spoilers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess it's, fine. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but it's, it's a moment that stuck with me because as I was fixing those bugs, I was kind of getting glimpses of this story and it, and then I just played. I, I decided, okay, I need to play this from, like from from beginning to end, just to just to see the bugs. But also, there was this thing in me that I wanted to see the the story itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember I, I was just uh, it, it just really stuck with me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 was an emotional moment at a very unexpected uh, uh, moment. I guess yeah. it, 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 I, I was really focused like on the technicalities and stuff yeah, yeah, and then suddenly like a wave of emotions yeah, yeah. hit me yeah, yeah it, it, so i remember that i don't know if i have a favorite question that, that's I'm actually sorry. but that's actually interesting like uh being like uh, emotional through the through fixing bugs yes. in the quest <laughs> yes like, yes <laughs> no no there are there are moments like you get that's goosebumps amazing. because all yeah, the yeah. Pl- pieces fall into place yeah. and 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 you you play this thing and and it's and it comes alive right and uh, yeah, that stuff stays with you, right? So it's pretty cool. Um, guys, you said uh, previously about like that a lot of quest designers are were modders, mm-hmm. right? Uh, do you have any advices how to become a quest designer or anything? How to start? Would, how, how to start in general, right? Start modding. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how to start is have a portfolio, basically. Have something to yeah. show. Because it's really great that... Cause that that was around when I started, but much yeah. less than it is now. You can, of course, study game design and all mm-hmm. of these things. And one of the best things that comes out of there is actual practical mm-hmm. experience. Mm. And this is the thing that we actually look out for. Mm-hmm. When we actually look for a quest designer, we want to see what they did before. Mm-hmm. As, at least if we hire someone who doesn't already work in the industry. If we, as an example, hire someone who's a senior quest designer in another company... They don't need necessarily need to do a test. We will do an interview with that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you want to start, I want to see something, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that is take any engine, take Unreal Engine, take Unity. Well, maybe not anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, you know, take any yeah. engine uh, or take a modding tool. Bethesda makes great modding tools. Yeah. We did the modding tool for The Witcher yeah. 2 Red Kit. That yes. was great. Yes. Uh, Take any of those, even older ones. Play mm-hmm. around just with it. Do something. Yeah. Do something. Can be a quest. Yeah. Can be a whole story. Yeah. Uh, and then just show, show it. it. Yeah. Uh, we had one quest designer, uh, Ero Varendi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He he made a whole remake of the prologue of The Witcher One yeah. in The Witcher Wild Hunt. Mm-hmm. Importantly, The Witcher Wild Hunt did not have full modding tools, so he had to use very difficult, annoying <laughs> to use workarounds to even make that happen Mm -hmm. and he put it on YouTube Mm -hmm. and I literally just saw him through this I saw him on the forums and I just reached out like this so that was you know and I think that's also how I actually started in the company it's it's a part luck Mm -hmm. you have to be found of course someone has to see it but also it's a lot of you just work towards it you just do something you put it on YouTube you put it on Twitter you put it on a forum but the most important thing is that you just do it for its own sake. If you, as an example, make a project and this is how I'm going to get hired at that company. Sure, you can do it. But mm-hmm. often 
the best thing is you just do it because it's great because you want or to just do passionate it. Passionate about it, exactly. Right? And you can feel when a project was done like that. And for me, that's often a very, very good sign for a quest designer because we need to, in our job, it can be very tricky. It can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You do need to have methods to motivate mm -hmm. yourself. And just having joy in making something, that's the most important thing you can have as a quest designer. And if you show that to us, and you know, you have some expertise there, that's the best sign. And that's how we actually hired lots of quest designers, by actually them having a really awesome project. Yeah, and the, the skills that you gain by, by modding, they're basically the same suite of skills that the pillars I mentioned about, right? So if you're doing, uh, I don't know, I remember the, the first things I was doing, I think, as a kid was Warcraft 2 mods. Uh, mods maps right <laughs> but they did have triggers then starcraft and all that stuff and i had like a support group we were, we were kids back then you know <laughs> uh we were making um, whole campaigns and stuff nice. all of that is lost to time i don't have it anywhere it's i, I wish i could play it right now I, I have like flashbacks of it but <laughs> never mind the, the the things that we were doing is we were basically uh you know uh, designing it, the, the, doing the narrative, designing the gameplay, you know, the challenges the player is going to fa face, then implementing it. Uh, and then as a, as a group, we were coordinating. So one, two, three, uh, all the pillars are there. Uh, you basically have uh, all the skills necessary. So the only difference between uh, you and uh, so as a modder and you as a, I guess, quest designer, but that also applies to like open world or any other, um, I guess, uh, mission designers, level designers. Uh, the only difference I think is just that you get paid for it and it just, <laughs> and you have a bigger budget to work with and yeah. you can work with like actual, uh, you know, professional, uh, 3d artists, but for example, is, instead there, of like doing yeah. your own thing. There's and, less limitations for yeah. sure. Yeah. But yeah. still there's also one tricky part. And I think we, we shouldn't forget about that, that when you're, when you're a modder, you're kind of self-dependent yes. and, mm. and then you jump into the 400 people yeah. project. And as you said before, you are kind of connecting tissue. And of course we have three musketeers, but as a connecting tissue, you kind of, you kind of, as Philip said, he communicated a request like, and discussed something with Przybyłowicz, who was the main composer for it, right? For the, for the Witcher. And then you have some other people, VFX coming, you know, yeah. SFX, you know, gameplay and stuff. And you have to be like great regarding communication, yes. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because you... I'm not saying you demand from people, but you order things and mm -hmm. sometimes you tell them what you actually need mm -hmm. and you need to, you know, but at the same time you are collabing with them. So yeah. it's not that you are like demanding, you're kind of mm, um, convincing uh, also, like that it's necessary. Yeah. And, 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 and this is, and this is, it, it, this I mean, is a I skill. Mean, convincing, yeah? I think it's actually easier than being convinced and being able to, <laughs> ch to, ch yeah, yeah. to, 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 uh, channel other other people's opinions right because mm -hmm. i've had situations where uh and actually works both ways now that i think about it because i've had people uh you know who are completely non-narrative that actually i, I don't want to give examples but they they weren't working with the narrative and they gave me you know their own perspective on things mm -hmm. during dialogue and i realized oh shit i need to correct that because <laughs> they're actually 
better at it. Than I, I guess point. it feels like that at that point. And your 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 initial um, reaction is to get defensive if you don't know that feeling and you don't recognize it because that basically undermines everything I know, right? Because they're they they had a better idea than than me. That's unthinkable, right? But if you kind of uh, recognize that feeling and you know how to channel it, you you, you can actually make the thing that you're working on better. Mm-hmm. And actually it works the other way around because I did have also some victories. Uh, mm-hmm. Victory, I, see, I still see it as a conflict. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I remember in Blood and Wine, um, uh, Marcin uh, for uh, gave me a specific piece of music for a specific uh, sequence in the game the part where you um, ride on the horse towards the castle um now it's it's full in the in the in the new enhanced version it's it's the full thing uh so uh the music in my opinion it completely ruined everything there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because what i was imagining picturing and working towards in my head was uh uh, is something like more action oriented, but like action and suspense. And he went full suspense, right? <laughs> and it's probably because I I told him suspense and I didn't mention action, action so he yeah. just gave me suspense, right? But then uh, I said, no, no, that that music can't go there. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, I'm transgressing my boundaries because yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Marcin probably knows what he's doing, but I'm feeling it, right? So I shared it, and uh, and uh, um, he told me to try it. I tried with the music that I thought was appropriate, and he said, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and this is awesome, actually. And it's actually, yeah, so, all, in my opinion, but, all about red. Yeah. Like, you know, the great ideas wins, yeah. always. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. End of the day, the great idea kind yeah. of shines through. Yeah. But that's that. actually also one of the best moments when you actually, when you work with a team where you manage to actually talk about all the things around your quest, what they're working on, what you're working on, that everyone gets excited about it. Mm. Where I'm actually super happy if people start adding ideas. I remember also Blood and Wine, uh, I'd made that fairy tale land and I had a narrative QA Przemek Tarczynski later became a quest designer yeah. for good reason. He just, you know, he gave me feedback, but also in the end of the feedback was always, we have, you know, priorities for bugs, mm-hmm. P0, heavy, biggest priority. He gave me P5 bugs that were like, wouldn't it be nice? Oh. There was also, <laughs> nice. uh, I think Rumchais, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the, the dwarf with the yeah, little hat. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that would be nice. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we, we added those things. Yeah. And I think Small that's, suggestions. Exactly, but I think that's really good if you actually, yeah. those ideas come together. And I think that's also really important that as a quest designer, you don't think you're the gray eminence yeah. that knows best. Yeah. That No, that idea is great. Sure, let's but do that's, it. That's also it. something for me that I feel like is super difficult because you're, you're actually getting feedback from a lot of places, from higher-ups, from mm. people QAing the thing. For from players that are playtesting that there's a lot of things that kind of come together. It must be very difficult just to balance all these things. And yeah, it feels like a real challenge for sure. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely have to prioritize. But also at some point, especially when you become more experienced, you of course also have to be confident in your opinions. Yeah. So as an example, I used to yeah. be a class designer. Now yeah. I'm a narrative director, yeah. so I sometimes give very specific feedback. And I think that is the way... This should be done right now. So I give that feedback. We had a moment like this yesterday. I discussed with uh, our quest designer, Maciej Duda, and he had a very specific opinion. No, no, this doesn't work. We should do it like this. <laughs> but then uh, he mentioned something else that was against what I said. I was like, well, I have my very strong opinion. I think that worked. But what he just said, I think that works a bit better. 
So even though I just had said, no, no, we should do it like this, that was genuinely a better idea and it was doable. So like, hey, you know what? I think that works. Yeah. And that is very important that you never, you never get into that mood of, Cleverest person in the room, right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You just, this you is the know way we do better. It and the yeah. story, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And this is why we always make that comparison that the quest designer is a bit like a director. Mm-hmm. Where that issue that as a narrative director, I have now officially, mm-hmm. you do have that as a quest designer too, because mm-hmm. everyone will have opinions for your work. And that's also one of these things we say that as a bit of a joke, because writers have that same opinion. Everyone has opinions on story. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. everyone can write stories, so you get a lot of opinions, yeah. and it's also your job not to be the guy who says, "Well, but you know, I'm the quest designer, I'm the writer. <laughs> it's my job to know better." Because yeah. sometimes you do, and it's important to not give in to just every feedback you get. Sometimes mm-hmm. someone has a really good feedback, yeah. and then you need to be open mm-hmm. to that, and that can come from anyone. That can come from your lead. Well, there you really need to listen. But, you know, that can come from VFX. It can come from QA. That can come from your cinematic designer, anyone. And in my personal opinion, I think I had moments when stuff like that literally came from almost any discipline in this company. Mm-hmm. And you do need to be open yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was working with uh, leads and directors, you know, because that's what I've been doing for the, now. Now I am lead, but... Mm-hmm. That I've been working with leads for a long, long time, and still have you know plenty of people sort of above me in the structure. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to know when to uh, stop uh, arguing, right? <laughs> Your point, uh, because you know sometimes you want to push back on on a, on a decision, and there is room for that here, uh, and that's great. But sometimes you also have to know when to stop. So the approach that I usually uh, take right now is just to make sure, uh, except for things like I, I'm adamant about, and mm-hmm. then you have to just you know force me to. <laughs> <laughs> but but for, for the for the most part, the the approach I take is like mm, I present all the consequences and I you know try to be fair to to their decision, right? Uh, I try to be fair. It's hard to be fair because it's easy to misrepresent uh, someone's opinion so it feels less valid, right? But I try to um, present all the... Oh, okay. I try to make sure that the decision that they're making is con- is conscious and that they are aware of all the ramifications that they might not be aware of mm-hmm. because of where they stand. Because usually if it, the higher end the structure, the more broad your vision is. And, and when you're lower, you're, you're, you're or lower, like, yeah, lower. Uh, it's uh, where like in the trenches, your, your um, oh, understanding no. is much more, um, not tactile, but like it, 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 you, you have it very internalized. Okay. Okay. Yeah? Okay. So, so, so you understand what's going to happen with the whole domino, if you push this one yeah. uh, one brick, right? And I think that's the responsibility of a like a line developer to just let the leadership know that this is going to happen. Yeah. So, uh, are you sure you want to make this? Uh, and you want you want to make, make this call? And if they say yeah, then okay. Let well, me do it. I, yeah. I've 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 done my part. You know, I, I've yeah. I've given all the consequences I can, and that's mm-hmm. it, right? Uh, the the other thing, uh, going back to what you were saying about holding the vision, etc. Uh, what do you do? Uh, and I'm not going to ask a question here because I want, to, <laughs> I want to hear your opinion. What do you do when in, you know the only thing that you have going at the very initial stages of the project is just you know an idea, paper. You have to like, verbalize it, tell it to someone, 
and they're not into it. But you know it's going to work, and like your only argument is just basically trust me, bro. Right? <laughs> it's going to it's going to work, and uh, I've been there, right? And it's it's tough. Uh, usually, I just I just go with the the, the thing that uh, you know my preferred medium to tell stuff is games, right? So obviously, when I tell you the story, you know, by just recounting it as a you know speech or written text, it's probably going to hit worse. But I know it's going to work out as a game. Trust me, bro. So mm-hmm. what do you do then? <laughs> I, I think for me, it's first of all important to actually figure out why they don't like it. Mm. Uh, because often, let's say if, if your whole quest is, let's say, 10 parts, maybe there's that one part that there's so much against that it kind of makes all of those nine other parts bad as well. Mm. So maybe they only have a problem really with one aspect of it. And maybe actually you can find a solution for this one. Because I, I actually had that many times where like, no, no, this does not work. This does not work. Okay, okay. Let's talk about this. What specifically does not work here? Because maybe you find the key. Yeah. And then that key suddenly opens up the whole thing. Because one thing I think is important, if someone says, and you give the full vision, this does not work, then that will also be a player, right? And then yeah. for some players, that does not work. And sometimes that can be a conscious choice. Right, like I, I don't want to speak for him, but that as an example was a conscious choice. Uh, Patrick Mills did a quest in Cyberpunk uh, with the Paralysis mm-hmm. that consciously has an open ending. Yes, mm-hmm. and we knew from the beginning there will be some people that will have a problem with that, but that is specifically the intent. So in that case, we're not fixing that problem. Mm-hmm. We're just making sure that that open ending is as compelling as it can be. Yeah. and then you yeah. know there so is a, a choice. There is an opinion, but then it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is really important that you that you know if there's a problem with it, it's an active choice. But usually, I actually always try to find a yeah. solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But actually, you know, following this example is actually looking for the answer for why instead of what. Because if there is like you know, is the meaning behind this open ending uh, that and and you have like a definite, solid answer for it for why. Why you're doing it? It's it's actually is a strong yes to mm-hmm. pursuing it. Uh, and the, the problem is that sometimes we tend to stop with what and because of something is doesn't want, but we are not dipping down the problem. You know what I mean? Uh, so like following the golden principles of design, kind of, and having the strong answers for why is always helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And actually, with the kind of games we're making, sometimes that can be a positive. Uh, as an example, in, in Blood and Wine, I had the quest with a knights tournament where you have Guillaume, Vivienne, yeah. and there is an ending that kind of implies that the happy end where they come together might not be really that happy end. That exactly. maybe that guy that you're helping, the great knight, maybe he just doesn't really have the best intentions. Maybe he treats that woman more like an object. Yeah. And then we had people that genuinely said, "Well, but I really." I wanted him to get the. I'm I'm annoyed that he didn't get the woman because yeah. that's just how this thing should go. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's the same as thing. spoilers for a <laughs> ten year old game. Uh, <laughs> if you tell Tris and Yennefer that you love him, if you tell them both, that's gonna blow up in your face. Good. And I remember <laughs> my 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 roommate at the time. He actually he had that and he was really upset. And I was like, Why are you upset? Well, I didn't expect to happen. Well, why? You told two women that you love them. You don't yeah, expect... Because I was well, playing a game and I'm yeah. important. And, but that's the <laughs> thing. Because then he actually, he went further and yeah. he said, well, I only meant it with Yennefer 
I only told it to Tris because I didn't want her to leave. So you don't see a problem with telling someone you love him just because you don't want him to leave, but should've, you don't really mean it. Should have just told him to trust, yeah. like test that in real life. See how it goes, bro. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Just test, just and, then, and then, you know, he was like, <laughs> or don't. <laughs> yeah. But he was like, fair enough. Uh, yeah. And you know, that's good. Sometimes it's actually good if people have a problem with something. If it's interesting, if it's emotional, yeah. if there's just a genuine problem, we also have to make sure you uh, are there for it. Because, you know, uh, being angry at something is also an emotion. And uh, what we're trying to do is, like, oh, yeah. that's the whole point of, like, telling, telling stories, right? Well, mm-hmm. not the whole point. There's there's other things. Maybe you learn something from them. Maybe you understand something about yourself better. Mm-hmm. I don't but know. Even but even if you learn something, there is an emotion behind this. Yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's a transformative process, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think at the core of all of, all of this is emotions. Is that That's why we tell ourselves stories, right? And, you know, we've done with Tomek Marchewka, we've done the bank in, in Beauclair. Nice. And there, ah, the heist. The, he, yeah. the, the, yeah. the, it, no, 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 not the yeah. heist. It's, uh, the heist is uh, no. Danish's quest in okay. of Stone. And actually, the, the reference to Asterix and Obelix, that was, that came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just wanted to tap into frustration, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because You're we thought, okay, we've, we've never done this. You, you, you and actually, I, I remember reading an article online about uh, like exploring this space. Uh, I think it's taken down now, and I I don't can't link in, you to to it anymore. But uh, it it was something I read online, and I and I thought, yes, someone's getting it. Yeah, <laughs> That's nice. But 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 it's but it's uh, you know it's like with people for for uh, for cyberpunk, like th- th- they would like to have a good ending. Some of them, I guess. But the the best we can give is bittersweet, yeah. uh, and that's not because you know we're trying to do it. Uh, you know we're trying to be edgy or whatever. No. It's because it, it fits like mm-hmm. the, the whole discussion we had about uh, at the beginning of story of, of, of this about yeah, it fits vision. the world, it fits the story, it fits yeah. the yeah. themes that we're we're touching on, and, and it, it just a happy ending would just ruin that, undermine all of it, because yeah, yeah. then there's an obvious good choice, right? And then, you know, you're not conflicted anymore and and the whole world comes apart. And if you, like a happy end would ruin the game immediately. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. And that's also just a big conscious choice we make Mm. for our quest generally that we don't want to do wish fulfillment. (laughs) We don't want to do the game where, you know, you get everything as a player (laughs) and everyone loves you and everyone makes you presents and you, no, romance type, everyone wants to have sex with you and everyone loves you. no. If we do, as an example, a romance, they should also be a bit challenging sometimes. You're actually dealing with a character. And that's the interesting thing about it. And this is these are conscious choices that we do. Or this rule that everything in a video game has to be fun. No, you know, we have, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but we have a funeral quest in the game. Mm-hmm. That quest isn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing fun about yeah. this quest, but it's compelling. Yes. And that's the important thing. Everything yeah. needs to be compelling but not everything needs to be fun. Not everything needs to give you what you want as long as it actually is compelling. And that's also one of those big things where some people will always disagree with that. There are people who say video games should always be fun. If I play and I play for five minutes, I should have fun. And I think that's valid. And that's why a lot of games are like that. You? I don't feel like they stay with you. Like our games stay. Like some stories that we tell, I feel like they 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 are like 
brazed into our souls, our like quests that you finish. You can relate you, to that. You, you mm-hmm. leave the pad and you go out for a walk and you digest it for 20, 30 minutes just to kind of understand like what the hell just happened? Like, could I have done something different? Could I maybe, you know, could have gone in any other way? No. And then, but why was this a conscious choice? Why did they do that? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. they, I sometimes feel like you, you just pretty much mess with my brain. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what should I feel now? <laughs> but sometimes you're not in the mood for that. And yeah. I think that's perfectly fine. You know, there's other games out there. And, you know, myself, I play sometimes games, you know, I don't know, I play League of Legends because I want to talk to my friend yeah. over a game, right? Uh, that's fine. Yeah, right? I play card games for that reason. Yeah, because you get a, you get a, you <laughs> yeah. get an easy outcome yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is the kind of experience that we are sort of making, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's a thing that you engage with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But also, just as the most general rule, that's also why we're not making a game where we're, you know, having a thousand people give us grades and everyone needs yeah. to give ten out of ten. No, we're making a game that we think will be great for us. Yeah. Because right, that's also one thing. I'm making the kind of game I want to play. And there will be some people that don't want to play that game. Yeah. And that's fine. As long as, of course, enough people want to play <laughs> that game. Because our games are very expensive. Well, yeah, yeah, you... So you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. But if you start trying to make a game that really is for everyone, it's exactly. going to be for no one. It's going to yeah. be even. Yeah. 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 Guys, you said about Asterix. You said about room size in the fairy tale world. Uh, that's a really cool like source of inspirations. Yeah. But that's the question, like what inspires you like everyday work? Like, like how did you like, where did you find the, the inspiration? Yeah, especially when it comes to quests, like what, what, yeah. do, what inspires you? Apart from, of course, playing different games. A steady and balanced media diet. That's, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but also, no, but for real, like you have to, you have to really engage with uh, uh, what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to analyze it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to watch it consciously, sometimes rewatch it. You also have your... Uh, there's this exercise that you can do uh, as a creator, so to speak, where you where you mm, list, let's say, like seven, ten um, pieces of media. It can be anything, like a book, a, okay. a, 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 a movie, whatever, that really resonate with you. Not mm-hmm. something that you like, but something that stays with you, mm-hmm. right? So for me, for example, it would be The Exorcist, Alien, you know, that that nice. kind of stuff. I have this list, right? Mm-hmm. And then you you analyze uh, what kinds of themes are there mm-hmm. what kinds of um characters are there right? so you're dissecting the yes, whole thing yes 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 you yeah. can literally it's a, it's a very easy process you can just sit down and and it's almost like listing down the things that kind of resonate with you and then okay how does that work in the other thing right so if this is what works for me in the exorcist then let's see how that that uh, works in aliens for example or i don't know forrest gump yeah. uh, or fallout 2 <laughs> uh, whatever right uh, what types of characters genres uh, um, uh, moods vibes feels whatever like right? emotions all that stuff and you'll start finding uh, shared um shared things so for example and and even in things that seem very far uh, away from each other uh so i don't know you take uh, the russell crowe movie about uh, the 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 tobacco industry uh, mm-hmm. insider right and then forrest gump mm-hmm. right the character is a person who's way above their head but they're trying to uh challenge uh, they're trying to to solve the problems that they they face in their life yeah. any anyhow even though their problems are vastly overwhelming vastly, them. Yeah. so yeah. you can find those things and the the cool part is uh, that 
when you do this exercise, you consciously understand what is that's important to you, and that's and that's how you find your voice, right? Mm-hmm. As a as a creator, so uh, I invite everyone to do this exercise. Mm-hmm. I, I know Tomek's done it as well. Uh, when I told him I, I found about find out about this, he says, "Yeah, I did that a couple of years ago." So nice, <laughs> nice, yeah. But it, it's but I think cool. it's also interesting that there can be so many approaches to this. Because as an example, I do it or I used to do it differently. Of course, if you are let's say in management lead director, you have to do it in a more structured way. But when I was a quest designer, my approach was literally, I think we call it goulash, <laughs> where I do not actually plan these things out. I just start in front of a blank page and I just have a huge amount of things in the back of my head and I just go and I see what happens. And sometimes that can really work. But as Waja actually said, you need to put in the work beforehand. Yeah. So as an example... I joined the company to make The Witcher Wild Hunt. Mm-hmm. I was a big Witcher fan. I read The Witcher books. I read mm-hmm. tons of stuff about medieval history. I read tons of stuff about, you know, medieval German fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So lots of these things. I, I I could come up with 50 Witcher quests in a day and just nice. like, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, full on Witcher. But then we did Cyberpunk and I was like, well, this is I have seen The Matrix and <laughs> once I've seen Ghost in the Shell, and I played Deus Ex when I was 12. And I know, you know, we have discussions. <laughs> yes. I know. But basically, oh no, how will I tell cyberpunk stories? Yeah. But then we really put in the work. And as an example, we had a reading list. I know Margin Blacher added to that. Patrick Mills did a lot for this. Yeah. And I just started at the beginning. I started reading proto-cyberpunk novels that are science fiction, like The Star is My Destination, nice. The Sprawl trilogy. I think I read more than 20 books. I watched all the movies. So basically, you need to put in all that work so you can do the goulash again. <laughs> so I can just sit yeah. down in front of a blank page, yeah. and then I have all of those disconnected things swirling around. I get a bit of a free feeling that, that just to, to rephrase, because I don't want to copy stuff. Yeah. So... You need to just have a huge, I would say, quantity as well. So you don't, exactly, you don't Mm -hmm. draw direct inspirations from, but you draw as an example inspiration from certain themes that you've seen in multiple stories or certain ways a character was written, but you do something completely different. And this you can only do if you actually put in the work and you know that genre in and out. Uh, so if you want to know how that can look like in the extreme, I encourage anyone to Google Andrzej Zabkowski fantasy reading list. Oh, yeah. Like oh, the, yeah. the list that Andrzej oh, yeah. Zabkowski yeah. considers. Yeah. The anthology from the from the cave. Yeah, um, like if you want to yeah. know fantasy, you need to read those books. Yeah. And it's a big, oh, big yeah. list. When he was here in the studio, something that he mentioned, he said openly that for him it was pulling inspiration from different things. And sometimes he didn't know how to do things. So he would read up mm-hmm. on those things in order to, especially when it came to combat and stuff like that. He would read about that just to have it more realistic and to have it in his, you know, balanced diet or goulash for you. I feel like it's a, it's, it's, we're (laughs) both kind of, yeah, it's food, right? Yeah. But it's, but it makes sense, right? You have a little bit of vegetables, a little bit of protein, a little bit of this, and you kind of put it together. He calls it cocktail. Yeah. Or a cocktail for him. You can call it goulash. cocktail. Yeah. 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 And I love the way how, how the book starts actually. It's like, if you call yourself that, you know, what the fantasy is and you didn't read those 50 books don't call yourself this exactly 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 (laughs) respect but I think think there's also uh, life experience and Mm -hmm. just just detaching yourself from media also works and just you know doing 
weird things, uh, acquiring new skills, putting yourself like, I don't know, uh, when I went uh, to, to, to the gym, which is, uh, you know, to you, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're like second nature, but to me, it's a weird place, <laughs> weird people. <laughs> and, and I went there and, and put myself in this, in this weird out of comfort, my comfort zone spot. Um, now it's different, but you know, uh, the, 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 it, it, it does kind of tell you, like, if you think about it and analyze the, the emotions you're going through and, the, um, discomfort and all that stuff, that sort of also gives you some, some information because it's really hard. I mean, you can theoretically have very, uh, poor, uh, or, or limited life experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I used to be a bartender, I used to work on constructions. I, I, you were a firefighter, right? Freelance. Freelance. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Freelance. So, so, uh, I think, I think there's value to that as well. Uh, Absolutely. Because yeah. How to make the funeral a thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a really yeah. meaningful content. How to make it real. Like, exactly. But I think it's also one of the most important things to just have life and these experiences so you actually, at least you can say something. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can have, you can know all of these things from pop, pop culture. I can watch all the movies that are in the cinema, but then I I can regurgitate regurgitate those things and maybe I can mm-hmm. do a story but does yeah. that really say something of my own I actually need to have go through some things and Add I more think personality to it exactly and I think as an artist you need to be able to maybe go to these places because yeah. that's also one important thing that I think we haven't even mentioned about that one important thing about a good quest is also and not every quest mm-hmm. some are just fun mm-hmm. but uh, let's say one of the deeper best quests is there's also like an artistic need to really do something, yeah. to say something, to make people think, to make people feel. And I think for that, you do need to, I think, go to a deeper well. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. that is really, really important too. Because a lot of the best stories that I think we have in our company, they're often coming from a personal place of maybe mm-hmm. the quest designer, of the writer, or of different people. And uh, sometimes they also come back to classic literature. A lot of our best stories, I mean, if we look at Hearts of Stone, if you know Pantvartovsky, if you know Faust, oh, yeah. Yeah. that is the inspiration there, uh-huh. right? Where we actually also want to go a little bit deeper. So I think that's also really important uh, that we need to be, to a certain extent, well-read. Mm-hmm. We need to not just know pop culture, we also need to know culture. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, that's that's harder to pick up than the technical stuff. Uh, because mm-hmm. it takes a long time, unless you're like, you're like power leveling, like <laughs> Philip was was describing, you know, the, the, his power leveling for cyberpunk. For me, it was thankfully easier because I used to be into cyberpunk, uh, you know, back back in high school days. Nice. So so I had some kind of basis, but also I needed to do some some of this work. And uh, yeah, it, it just it just uh, it just helps, and it takes a long time to 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 get these. Uh, how I think we can call them cultural competences, right? Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it takes a long time and picking up the engine is actually the easy part. Uh, it's funny because when you, when you, uh, hire someone new, you know, in a junior position, they're stressing out about the engine and, and the tech so much, uh, that, uh, you know, they, they often forget the actual important yeah. part, which is the foundation. Like, the foundation. Yeah. Tech is yeah. just a way to get there, right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. actually also one of the rules we had when hiring quest designers, where if someone's really strong in design, but not that good in tech, 
that's fine. Yeah. The tech part we can teach. Yeah, exactly. yes. The other yes. way around is much, much, that's much. That's what better. I wanted to say. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's much harder to actually you know have the like the the foundation of building something instead of then just the tools. The tools are things that you can pick up and learn, mm-hmm. and then just you know hone kind of your skills. And actually, that. is the rule that you can you can it, it works in every discipline. To be yeah. honest, same with animation, cinematic design. It's it's, it's like, like knowing a language but having nothing to say. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's also I think that requirement and also comes with the ability to go deeper in research. Mm-hmm. So as an example, when you do your cyberpunk deep dive, at some point, you may also recognize that, so, so where do those tropes from cyberpunk come from? Maybe now I also need to consider noir elements, as an example. And then that, I think, comes where you go then a little bit deeper. You start digging. So you actually, you become able not just to copy, but to also create in that genre. Mm-hmm. And I think that part that gets tricky. And yeah. as an example, when we started Cyberpunk, we took a really long time to get in there. Mm-hmm. We, we, we read a Find lot. Find our voice. Yeah, we, we watched a lot. We discussed. Uh, we played some video games that we discussed because uh, we needed that time yeah. as well. A lot of us had done fantasy for a long time yeah. and we needed to, it's hard to transition get in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It was really good to have some, uh, some people on our team like Patrick who were like mm-hmm. very adamant like, you guys need to know this. This is important. <laughs> uh, so there's no, there was no other chance. Yeah. There was no other choice. We, we had to become. He experts. is a lore master for exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, because I feel like we could go on for days. I yeah, think I think is, so. This is a place yeah. where we should kind of put a pin in it, <laughs> so we don't go into uh, to our territory. Uh, but it was amazing to talk to you guys. Very insightful, and I feel Thanks like uh, quests. Quest I think something that we all kind of think we can do in some sense but it's 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 much difficult than we kind of <laughs> oh, yeah. think it's about super it, yeah. complex yeah it's yeah. super complex i mean it's also i think something we don't that have comes the proper easy. perspective to say that yeah i don't think after yeah. so many years th- i think it's also one of these things where we we make it sound like all of these deep things and so complicated but sometimes you know we also have quest designers that start and they just kind of hit it out of the park uh it mm. it it's also a really fun job, right? We don't want to act yeah, like yeah, sure. you need it to is. become the expert in it all is. of these things. That's, of course, you sometimes need to put in that work. But also sometimes it's a pretty cool job. It's nice. It's I very love impactful it. too. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's one of the things that is very impactful. Like we, we know here at CDPR that story is, is important and quests and story, they work perfectly together. And this is what the player experiences. This is what they interact with. And this is what... This is the emotional baggage that we have after mm. uh, experiencing uh, a game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, this is it. Guys, thanks a lot for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank thanks you for having Thank us. Thank you. Guess. Always a pleasure, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always a pleasure. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for tuning in into this Answered Podcast dedicated to the Quest. We have way more to come. We're going to cover the whole development process here at Red. So stay tuned. There'll be more coming, but in the meantime, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. We want to hear your feedback. We want to know if you're liking this content and we want to get more information for you so we can make the next episodes even better. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next one.